23 this morning. Uh, we will be all over the place. And I don't think we have bulletins this morning, do we? No? Need to, I wonder what happened to the Penningtons. Anybody know? Are they all right? Are they? Okay. Um, well, uh, I did email <laughs> uh, an order of worship to you, and so there's an outline in there. Um, and you might want to look over that, or I'm, I'm going to reference quite a few scriptures this morning. If you want, I will be glad to forward my complete sermon uh, document to you. You just let me know. But this morning we're going to go to Proverbs 23, verses 13 to 16. The title of the sermon is The Rod of God. Remember, we've started with Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And from there, we looked at so many of the Proverbs that were addressed directly. My son this, my son that. Warnings, fatherly advice. And now when we come to chapter 23, we're going to go through a lot of different Proverbs. But the idea of the rod of God or God's disciplining us. What are we to make of that? Proverbs 23, 13 to 16. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. I want to talk just first of all about just this term, the rod of God. It's all through scripture. And when God uses the term rod, he is primarily saying, I will discipline you. It is a painful thing, even in our text, though he cry out. And listen, if you've ever used the rod on your son or your daughter, if you've used it properly, they cry out. In fact, mine cried out before the rod came because they knew it was coming. In Isaiah 10, our God says to Israel, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hand is my fury. So much in that chapter. God is saying, Assyria is going to come and take you away. But they're only taking you away because they are the rod in my hand. I have warned, I have pleaded, I have sent prophets, you've killed them, you've murdered them, I've given you a temple, I've given you sacraments, I've given you land, and what have you done? You have profaned it. You have murdered my little babies. You have profaned it. I am sending Assyria in, but before you think it is Assyria, know this, it is me. They are the instrument in my hand. In 2 Samuel 7, um, David is all excited. He wants to build the temple. And he goes to the prophet Nathan and says, I want to build a temple for the Lord. And Nathan says, whatever you want to do, go do it. God is with you. And then God comes to Nathan and says, why did you tell him to do that? I didn't ask him to build me a house. He's not going to build me a house. I am building him a house. And then he goes back. Nathan says, dude, I'm sorry. This isn't your job. I know it's something you want to do. I know you're capable. I know that in your mind you think this is how I'm going to honor the Lord who's given me all these things. But in, ch in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, Nathan says, no, God is going to have your son build the temple. But listen what he says. And the reason I'm pulling this out is this is, uh, God is speaking here in 2 Samuel 7 about Solomon. 
okay, about David's son. God is saying, this is, this is what I will be to him. David, you're not building me a temple. Your son will build me the temple. And in verse 14 of 2 Samuel 7, he says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. Now, when he's talking stripes, you know what he's talking about? Welts. My boys used to play this game called Five Star. See, when you're poor, you don't have lots of toys, so you have to hit each other with sticks. Or My boys used to play this game called Five Star. Luke, you ready to play Five Star, Jordan said? Luke said, yeah, Luke's all in. Okay, so you meet my kids. Luke, we used to say his love language is being beaten because he just loves anything that proves that he is tough. So Five Star is open hand fist, I mean open hand, right on the back, right? Right on the back, and then you'd like look at it and see, did you get good five stars on it? And okay, your turn, Jordan. I mean, it was just this horrible thing, you know? I don't think girls do that to each other, but when he says stripes, God is saying that the rod of men will leave welts on my son. Now, he's talking about Solomon. Talking about Solomon, the one who put together all of these Proverbs. He didn't write them all, but it was this collection. As he was transferring the kingdom to his son, it was his collection of wisdom. But listen to now the next verse, verse 15. So it's beautiful. I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, verse 15. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. Our God is putting that together as close as we can see. I will love Solomon steadfastly. He says, I'm not going to withdraw my love from him as I did from Saul. He will be disciplined. He will feel the stripes. It will be, the rod of men will be his discipline, but I will not remove my steadfast love. Um, the sermon in the sentence this morning is parental discipline. should reflect the relationship God the Father has with his children. Parental discipline. Now, I said in my email to you, if you're not a parent, if you're not a kid, if you are a kid, there is something in this for all of you. Because what he describes here that is supposed to happen between parents and their child happens in perfection between God and us. And often I remind myself and others, if you, are under, if you feel you're under the discipline of God, I will tell you this time and again, God will not waste discipline. Or God will not waste your suffering. He is, he is not out to finish up what Christ left unfinished. His discipline is perfect and it is done in absolute perfect love. We as parents must reflect that. And so as we think about this, there's probably a lot of questions we ask. Um, do children need to be corrected? Why do children need to be corrected? Why do we hate it? What should be the goal in discipline? What are we trying to achieve? Does God have anything to say about how we should be corrected? And is my correction discipline in any way connected to their eternal security? So I broke this down into three sections. The first will be the necessity of the rod. So when we think about that, the necessity of discipline, the application 
of the rod and then the promises of the rod. Remember, we are talking about the God-man paradigm as it's reflected in the parental paradigm. Paul the Apostle writes to the church in Corinth. He's about to list all the things that they are doing wrong. He's writing to the church in Corinth and he is saying, I am warning you, it's time for you as a church to repent. In chapter 4 he says, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to come with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? First, the necessity of the rod. I'm going to give you four reasons and we're going to spend most of our time talking about this this morning. The necessity of the rod. Let me say this clearly. Parents, we do not bring into the world saints that are in need of protection as much as we bring sinners in need of a Savior. We don't bring these little bundles of joy like Locke says, like Confucius says, like Dr. Spock says, that are blank slates, that it's going to be up to our society, our culture, and our schools, poor teachers, our schools to make them, to raise them. No, we bring into the world fallen human beings, selfish human beings, sinful human beings. Parent after parent gets so frustrated and shocked at times. I remember the first time Jordan, my son, lied to me. I went to my dad and I was so distraught. And he goes, hey, Mark, I got good news for you. I'm like, what is that, dad? You're going to have lots of chances to work on this. <laughs> Thanks, dad. I really really appreciate it. The necessity of the rod first is because we are fallen image bearers of God. The rod is necessary because we are fallen image bearers of God. I'm just give you seven quick things about the image of God that we see in ourselves. First, God says, I am. He is conscious of himself. Children learn very early to be conscious of themselves don't they? Before they can speak, they're conscious of themselves. They don't feel good. They let you know. Sometimes they let you know and nothing's wrong with them. Right? I, I, I mean, how many times would Timmy say, they're fed, they're changed, they're clean, they're still screaming. They have a consciousness of self. Secondly, God is rational. He structures his thoughts. We are the same. We reason. We have hopes. We have dreams. We have ideas. Thirdly, God is able to communicate. We as image bearers are able to communicate. Fourthly, God is creator. He made everything out of nothing. We are creative. We don't make everything out of nothing, but we take what God has made and we create things. We uh, show forth creativity. Uh, God is authoritative. And we need authority. We long for authority. We long to have authority, to be in authority. Uh, God is altogether righteous. He is a moral being. In our conscience, we long for rightness. Why do people constantly want other people to agree with them? Why is it such a huge deal that we accept things in other people? There's a desire to be right. Not just forgiven, but right. Seventh, God is eternal. The human soul is eternal. But as these seven things, all of them are broken. All of them are fallen. All of them are polluted. Self-conscious is twisted into pride. 
selfishness and prejudice, self at the center. God will serve us. You ever notice that that's the heart of the health and wealth gospel? Self becomes God and God becomes our servant. We do right and he is obligated to us. Never forget this teenager that broke up with his girlfriend and asked him, why did you break up? He said, well, we had religious differences. Really? What were they? She thought she was God, and I didn't agree. <laughs> uh, reason. Think about how reason has been fallen. We can't rest on reason alone. Reason, instead of reason being turned towards God and His Scriptures, reason is used to try and deny God His authority, His creation. We plot against Him. We deny His existence. We have what some people call broken choosers. Communication. Communication that we might know one another and love one another is now used to curse, to lie. Children even speak the cruelest things, say the worst things to one another. Even other human beings created in His image. Ever wonder how hard it is to communicate with human beings? Do you ever, ever just sit there sometimes and then we've got Thanksgiving coming up, Christmas coming up, and I know some of you will be in situations that are difficult. Do you ever just sit alone in your room and say, why is it so hard? Why can't we be like dogs and cats? They communicate. It's easy. It's simple. I'm quite simple. I'm like a golden retriever. Just feed me, scratch my belly, I'm good to go. But we ever wonder why? Why is it so hard? You say one thing, they hear something else. You say it in a different way. You try to restructure it. You try to have them say it back to you. No, that's not what I meant. Well, that's what you said. Well, why is it so hard? Because it's fallen. Communication is fallen. Creativity turns to destruction. I mean, if you're watching uh, football yesterday, how many commercials for video games are creative and how many are destructive? I mean, how many, how many just commercials of, hey, you get to blow up all of these things now? You know, there's a brand new version with bigger machines to blow up bigger things. Right? You don't, need to, you don't need to go to too many beaches before you see a sandcastle that is destroyed by a sibling, right? Whoops, a trip that fell. Right? Instead of being creative, we are destructive. Rule and authority, we push against it. We don't want anyone to put their rules on my body. We don't want anyone to tell me what to do, what to believe, where to go. Rule and authority. You see parents yelling at kids. Okay, there was one commercial. Uh, We saw one with that destruction. There's another commercial where this lady is holding a kid that's having a meltdown. And what does the commercial say? Who needs a timeout, little junior or the mommy? I want to say, neither. Somebody needs a rod applied to the seat of knowledge. That's what somebody needs. They need discipline. But they're frustrated out there. And you know what? The church has fallen into a lot of those habits. And the world outside is saying, how can we raise our children? The world outside comes to church and they say, your kids are great. They're wonderful. Y'all are so lucky. No, we're not lucky. We've worked hard. It's been hard work. I have longed to not do it. I have longed to turn a blind eye. I have longed to just pretend it didn't happen. I have longed just to try and distract because I don't want to deal with this. But we put in our time. We've disciplined out of 
love. Morality is mocked. It's pressed against. It's ridiculed versus righteousness. We're inclined towards evil. Seventh, even our imagination, it is fallen. Ways to devise and escape the righteousness of God. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. We need discipline because we are fallen image bearers. Secondly, we need discipline because children need direction. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. That is not a promise. That's a warning. You understand it? It's not a promise. It is a warning. It is saying train up a child, and it's been misinterpreted so often. Train up a child in the way that child wants to go. Let that child do what that child wants to do. Don't provide any instruction, discipline for that child. And when he's older, he's going to be just the same. He's going to be an older child that throws tantrums in a different way. That can't hold the job. That can't keep relationships. That blames everybody else and thinks the world should revolve around them. Train up a child in the way he should go. He says, but if you do that, when they're old, they won't depart from it. We have been told, oh, we have been told, don't mess with a child's self-expression absolutely mess with a child's self-expression. I was telling the kids today, there was a kid in our church who, who always barked at me. Hi. Bark, bark, bark. And everybody giggle and laugh. At some point, I took the dad aside and I'm like, you know, at some point, she needs to know she's not a dog. Well, she just likes pretending she's a dog. I'm like, yeah, uh, but she's not a dog. She's supposed to answer people. Let me tell you, you want to get in trouble as a pastor? You just insinuate at all that someone might not be doing the right job parenting. And man, the, 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 the anger, the rage, and I understand it. Because as a parent, it's the most important thing you'll do in the lives of those human beings. Your spouse's relationship is primary. Sorry, your, God, your relationship with God is primary, then your spouse, and then your children. And so I know that people want to do right. They want to. And we bring in the way we were raised, the way we were either disciplined and it was good or it was bad or it was abuse or it, was, you know, it wasn't clear. Um, but our Bible talks about it. And we shouldn't avoid it because people get angry. We shouldn't avoid it at all. It's this gift to us. Uh, self-expression. J.C. Ryle, a couple hundred years ago, it was 200 years ago. Remember, children are born, he says, with a decided bias toward evil. And therefore, if you let them choose for themselves, they're certain to choose wrong. The mother can't tell what her tender infant may grow up to be, tall or short, weak or strong, wise or foolish. He may or may not be any of these. It is all uncertain. But one thing the mother can say with certainty, he will have a corrupt and sinful heart. It is natural for us to do wrong. Foolishness, says Solomon, is bound in the heart of a child. A child left to himself brings his mother to shame. Our hearts are like the earth on which we tread. Let it alone and it is sure to bear weeds. Another writer says, if you let your children run over you, if you withhold the rod 
If you fail to discipline them, if you fail to diligently and meticulously to instruct them in the little things as well as the big, if you let your children decide what they will and what they will not eat, what they will or will not wear, what they will and what they will not do, and when they will or will not do it, look into the future and you'll see those same children unbridled, undisciplined, and unable to bring their bodies into submission to the commands of God. Our children need direction. They're longing for it, and we're to give it to them. Why are you here? Why did God create you? I can't tell you how many times. So you know my son Jordan. Now he's nice, nice and fit, but he was a giant of a child. He was a giant of a child. One of my favorite memories is where I'm playing like fourth grade football, and some lady yells out, watch out for that big kid. And I'm like, that's my big kid. <laughs> watch out for the big kid. I would tell Jordan time and time again, son, why did God make you big? To take care of other people. To protect other people. Was it, did he make you big so that you could always have your way? No, sir. He made me big so I can protect other people. Our children must know that. They must have a direction. Why are you going to school? Why are you learning these things? Why am I not letting you do this? Why are we different than this family? Because of the glory of God. Because of His direction. Um, children need direction. They're fallen. Thirdly, God commands parents to correct the children. God commands us to do so. He tells us to do so. In Psalms, it says that children are privilege. They're a responsibility. Authority from God to parents. Parents are responsible to God for their children. He entrusts them to you. We are responsible to discipline and to point them. We are not responsible for their outcome. All right, understand this. We are responsible before God, but they are souls that need to be rescued and saved. We are not responsible for converting them. We are responsible for disciplining them. It's natural that we would want to avoid it. It's easier to try and ignore it, to excuse it. He didn't have a nap. She's tired. She didn't have her way. Things were rough today. See how that works when you're 50. I didn't have my nap today. I expect the rest of the world to bend to my moods because something didn't go my way today. Nowhere in the scripture are we told, give them a time out. Distract them. Sometimes when we distract them, what we're doing is we are losing an opportunity to instruct them. We didn't childproof our home. Now, I know I'm saying this like Tammy and I did everything right. Please don't take it that way. I've wrestled with this. We haven't done everything right. We've done so many things wrong. Um, but I'm just telling you, this is how, how we applied some of it. We decided we're not going to childproof our home because we don't expect every home that we take our kids to to be childproof. We're instead going to teach our kids no means no. If I say no, and if I say it in the same voice that I say, get me a drink of water. Dad, can I do this? No. I don't need to say it. No! No, 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 no! No! Say it in the same voice. Did our kids fail? Absolutely. Were we embarrassed? Absolutely. But our God demands it of us. Again, Solomon writing. Do you realize, and so in 1 Kings chapter 6, at the end of verse 6, 
It's talking about Adonijah. You think about David and his sons. What a horrific failure. Adonijah. Uh, talking about Adonijah, he was the usurper that Solomon killed in the temple. It says he, Adonijah, his father, David, had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? David failed with Adonijah. He failed with Amnon. What did Amnon do? Amnon raped his sister and he was killed by his brother. What brother killed him? Absalom. What happened to Absalom? This beautiful young boy was caught up in a tree and had javelins thrown into his heart. Why? The scripture says because David never corrected them. A man after God's own heart who loved the Lord, he never corrected them. That's what the historians say in the scriptures. Parents, it is our job to do so. Fourthly, why is it necessary? Because love demands it. We are to love our children more than the way we love it when they're happy with us. We are to love our children in the midst of a tantrum. And Anna Kuyper used to say, that's it, I'm shunning you. And she would do this, shun on, you know. And it was always done as a joke. But if something she goes, you're being shunned. And she would say, shun on. But knowing Anna Kuyper, she can't be quiet. So she would have the shun on and off like five times on a 10-minute drive. Wait, the shun's off for a second, Dad. I need to tell you this. Okay, shun back on. Um, We're to love them more than we love the way we feel when they're happy with us. Proverbs 13, whoever spares the rod hates his son. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 8, 19, 19, 18, discipline your son for there's hope. Don't set your heart on putting him to death. Um, Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 11, I'm not going to read all of that, but the writer of Hebrews is reminding us that in the same manner that we are to discipline our children, God in love has disciplined us. And it's a proof, that writer says. It's proof that you belong to him. It's proof that God loves you when he does not allow you to go down a path that is destructive for your soul. When you get caught, when the rod of man comes to your back, it's our Father saying, I am loving you so much that I'm not going to let you continue. I'm going to change the course of your behavior. If you love your children, remember that discipline is not hate. Discipline is love. We want our children to obey us because we love them. We want them to be good children because we love them. We want them to obey God because we love them. We want them to be saved and brought to a knowledge of the living God because we love them. If we use the rod for any other reason, it is not biblical discipline. If we use the rod just to keep us from being annoyed, if we use the rod because things are bad at work and at least here I have some authority and I want my kids to walk around on eggshells because I'm cranky, that is not biblical discipline. And so I know that many of us have faced it, we have seen it, and it has caused great pain and hurt. It's caused agony when people try to think about God as a father, but we do not throw away the proper use of discipline because of its abuse. We can't do that that way. 
Um, I'm going to, I know it's 11. I'm going to go just a little bit on the application of the rod because I think it's important that we get there. The application of the rod, verse, verses 13, again from Proverbs 23. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod. All right, so how are we to apply this? We're to strike him to hurt him. Dad, mom, it's supposed to hurt them more than you. It's to hurt them. It is to apply pain. It is to teach them. Your behavior will cause pain. I would much rather you have a sore bottom than end up in hell and end up dead and end up where this goes. The rod is to be applied. It says if he cries out, he will not die. It is to be, it is to be fair to the the, the, the sin, right? It's to be fair. We don't, we, don't, we don't hit them with the rod because there's a mistake, there's an accident, there's something broken. We make it very clear. This is what you are to do. This is what you're not to do. Here are the consequences if you do this. I, I love it. When my kids started driving, I sat down and I said, here are the consequences. Do you understand? Repeat them back to me. If you're not home, what are the consequences? If your grades drop, what are the consequences? Here are the consequences, Dad. And so when those things happened, and happened they did, we knew. They knew. They expected it. i never forget the time one of my kids, <laughs> we had traffic light cameras. And my kids worked all day for a guy and got a $100 bill. On his way home, he runs a red light. And he sees the camera go off. And he comes in the house. I said, how was work? He goes, it was good. And he takes out the $100 bill and he hands it to me. And he says but I ran a red light. <laughs> and uh, in St. Louis, you ran a red light, you get a nice little note in the mail, and it has, a, it has a, a link that you can go online and you can see the video of yourself running through a red light and there's a $100 fine. And there was no anger, there was, this is the consequence, this is what happens, here you go, Dad. Um, the application of the rod is to be equal to the sin, the crime, um, it is to be sufficiently painful. The mockery of a, a mom giving a little love pat to a bottom and the kid crying and thinking that that is the application of the rod, it's not. I don't think it should be your hand. We don't see it in Scripture that the hand is used for that. The hand should probably be a, a last resort. Kids are smart. They know the situation. They know that they can push you in the grocery store because you're afraid, you're embarrassed of what people will think. Take them back to the car and have the little rod sitting there in the back of the car and apply it. Um, it is to hurt them. It is to remind them. It's so much better than timeouts because it is swift, it is quick, it is done. It is to be, it is to be applied and then it is to be, you're to, you're to assure them, as Jake did in the confession, you are to assure them that this is because I love you. It's because I love you. I'm not going to spank those other kids. They're not my responsibility. And the way their life goes and the way they turn out 20 years from now, you might look back and thank me. Every one of my kids has. Everyone has said that. Thank you. One time I took Luke canoeing. We had a, just a terrific day on the river. He was probably nine. We pulled off at a restaurant and we sat down and we got pizza and, and happy Luke was just something wonderful to behold. He just, 
he got overjoyed, he prayed all the time, he was just, he was just, so, he was just so filled with joy. And behind us, a family came in, and they had the most rotten kid. He complained, he screamed, and he just wouldn't be consoled. And, and finally, finally, when the kid talks, he says, Mom, I didn't want you to cut my pizza. And the mom says, oh, I'm so sorry, son. I didn't know. Luke looks at me, and he's like, Dad, what's wrong with these people? <laughs> what's wrong? So he was eight. He got in the car, and he said, Dad, thanks for not letting me be that kid. And you know what happens? People will delight in your children. You won't find it hard to get a babysitter because people will love your children. They will. They'll be nice to be around. They'll be well-behaved. You won't be afraid. And they're going to have a boundary. That's the blessing of the rod. It will teach your kids. You want the heart to change, but it will teach your kids boundary and consequence. There's a ruler over all, and he takes justice seriously. We apply the rod. It says here the reason is to save him. But we also are warned not to discourage them. In Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise. Why? That it will go well with you, that you will live long. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 4, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and a second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. You know the verse that follows that? Instruct your children in these things. And when you discipline them, when the rod comes out, you don't walk away and leave them wondering if you still love them. Don't do that. Don't make them earn their way back into your good favor. Discipline has been applied. It is done. It is finished. It teaches them the gospel. It teaches them the beauty of the cross. When God disciplines us, we look at the cross and we say, it's finished. It's done. I can run to him. Do the same with your children. You take them in your arms. You pray for them. You tell them about our God. You tell them that God is holding you accountable because he has trusted their souls to your care for 18 years, 20 years. Prayer is necessary. Uh, the promises of the rod. Well, that they learn consequence. We talked about that. They learn boundaries. They're directed in the proper way of life. They'll have a much greater understanding of God, his grace, and the gospel. And you will enjoy your children. And so will others. Brother Jonathan's going to come visit. Uh, maybe you'll see him over Christmas break. He has eight kids. And um, when he has eight kids, right there in, in front of the kids, people will say, oh, my, that must be a nightmare. Or, oh, how could you do that? I'm like, his kids are right here. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, you're the worst, you know. And I, I love it. I get giddy with them coming over. I do. I start calling them about two months ago. When are you guys coming? Come a day early? Stay a little longer? What are we going to do? Why? Because kids are disciplined. Well, they're not perfect. They set the neighbor's fence on fire. You know, they, they do all sorts of things. But they've learned consequence. They have a direction. And they're enjoyable to be around. I'll tell you, my first time I visited Three Rivers, 
Charlie, you up here doing an announcement, remember that? I've reminded her. She's doing an announcement and one of her kids was acting up. I don't know which one it is. His name might rhyme with Mole Matthews. <laughs> and she stopped what she was doing right there and corrected him. And I'm like, awesome. I'm like, awesome. These people care about their kids. I'm really, really thankful for that. In that same manner that God cares over us, that he disciplines us, in the middle of discipline, he's saying, I love you. I love you too much for a wayward life. I love you too much to let your life go after these idols. And when the rod of God comes and it is painful, and we wonder how do other people get away with it and we don't get away with it, it's because they don't belong to him. And our God says, you're too important to me. In that same manner, parents, we are to discipline our kids. The world is going against it, but the world is producing awful children. The world is producing awful children. Hard-hearted children. Self-centered children. Terrible workers. Terrible spouses. And God says, I've given you my word to show you who I am. I've given you this instruction of how you are to instruct your kids and how you are to discipline your kids. Trust me in this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that from start to finish, from the garden, when you gave clear instruction, here are the boundaries, here is what you are to do, and here is what you are not to do. That when mankind rebelled against your rule and says, we, we want to do what we feel is good, what looks good, we want to make decisions for ourselves. But Father, your discipline was swift, severe, and in the midst of the curse, you promise a Savior. How wonderful. Our first parents to know that their sin would be redeemed. And so, Lord, as we come to the table, as we eat the bread, and we know that it was your son's body that received the stripes, the prophet Isaiah would say in chapter 53 that his stripes, we are healed. That it literally was the stripes of the whips against his flesh. That he took our place. So that when we are disciplined, O oh Father, we know that it is not because he hasn't done enough. We know it is because you love us. You are changing our direction. You are teaching us. You are correcting us. We know that even from your word, Father, that you will use even ungodly people. You'll use the Assyrians. You'll use ungodly bosses. You might even use an ungodly government. But over all these things, you reign supreme that your children might know it is good that I was disciplined. Oh, help us, Father. Pray especially, Lord, um, for those here who a sermon like this has brought up lots of frustration. It's brought up things, um, maybe, maybe colossal failures in their own life. Maybe kids that wished, I, I wish I would have been given more direction and feel like it's too late now. Lord, I, I pray that your grace would cover the multitude of offenses and it would wipe guilt away. Well, none of us has done it perfectly. Even Solomon's sons fought and the kingdom was split. And we don't see our children as these blank slates that we have to teach. 
We see them as souls that need to be rescued. Help us to know, Father, how far and when to discipline and how that works, Lord. And Lord, we do pray that you would save our children, that you would cleanse us of any guilt and shame, Father. And in that same manner, Lord, those of us who uh, are tempted towards pride over our children, thinking it's because something we did right, you forgive us of those sins, Lord, and not make our children suffer in order to teach us lessons. I pray that we would know all things good in this world are from your grace. Whether it is the grace you bestowed and the power of your spirit upon us that we could follow your word, or it is the grace afterwards to look back and realize this too can be redeemed, we pray we would rest in it. And we ask this in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen.